0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm chapter 24. I felt compelled as, we, as we're wrapping up 2019, wrapping up a year, wrapping up a decade, and we're positioning ourselves for this new year I felt compelled these next couple of weeks to, to, uh, to speak to you on uh, the subject of prayer. We're coming into a season of a week of prayer and then also a 30-day emphasis where we're encouraging people to, to join us on this journey, 30 days discovering the power of prayer. Me and uh, Miss Nicole, our children's ministry director, we we put the time and the effort into putting together these resources to encourage our hearts as a church to grow individually in the practice of prayer, daily, growing in our relationships with the Lord. And so this is a simple resource, 30-day uh, devotional, 30-day journey. Uh, it comes with a Bible reading plan, space for journaling, all of that's um, included in that. And so in that, in these windows where I believe that God just gives us opportunities to see a little bit more clearly. And, and I believe in, in, in the history of the church and in in these seasons of the church, God gives us these opportunities to kind of recalibrate, to press the reset button. And the new, new year, the new decade is a perfect opportunity for us to recalibrate on that which matters most, seeking God. And the church needs to come back to a place of simplicity where we are people that are praying people that seek God first and foremost, and we depend on him. And we, we, our hearts have this kind of desperate cry that God, if you don't move in our city, then what's the point? <laughs> Let's just shut, shut this whole thing down. God, if you don't move, if you don't work on our behalf, if you don't go before us, if you don't open up hearts and open up minds, if you don't move in this neighborhood, move in the next generation, that's the way we pray. And so these seasons of prayer, we can't always pray as, as a corporate family every single night like we are for the week of prayer. But I believe we, we, we take these opportunities, kind of these windows of opportunity to recalibrate, to reset, to reposture our hearts, to stir up our hearts again with a fresh hunger for the Lord. And so this week of prayer is gonna be strategic for us for the entire year, and I believe for the next next decade as well, um, and the 30 days of prayer as well. So join us. Psalm 24 it's an important psalm, scholars believe that King David wrote this psalm as a, a song or a psalm to be sung, to welcome in the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. So the Ark of the Covenant being this holding place of the presence of God, kind of a central uh, focal point for the nation of Israel. that the presence of God is central to who we are, And so this becomes a psalm, welcoming in the presence of God to the city. Of Jerusalem. And I believe this psalm really encourages us in a simple way to be a people that, a generation that seeks God, seeks the face of God. So we're going to be a praying church. Before we read this psalm, just to kind of heighten the sense of the responsibility that we have to pray as a church, you can think of our, of our responsibility like this. Think of a, uh, one who's gonna go parachuting and you, maybe you're gonna go parachuting, you're 20,000 feet in the air. You've studied this manual on, your, on the parachute that's on your back. You know it, front to back. You are well trained in, in, in what it's gonna take to survive this jump. You know where the rip, rip cord is. It's all up here in your noggin, you know it. In that moment when you take the leap, the knowledge is only valuable if you take action. It's only valuable if you're obedient to grab the ripcord in that moment. Otherwise, it's just knowledge, theory. So it is in the place of prayer for the church. We can know prayer is important. We can even know this book really, really well because we are a, um, a generation that's saturated with information. So we can know a lot about it. But if it never results in actual action of obedience, then what value is it to us as a church? We need to be a praying church that takes God at his word, that gets on our knees and says, God, we are gonna be obedient to your word. We are gonna press into you and to your promises. We're gonna grab the ripcord and we're gonna, we're gonna rip on it. We are, we are gonna respond to your word wholeheartedly we're not gonna allow it just to stay in our heads. This is what E.M. Bounds said over 100 years ago. That means he's not with us anymore. This is what it says. He says the progress of God's work in this world has two basic principles. So he, he summarizes God's work on the earth uh, through these two dynamics, these two principles. God's ability to give and man's ability to ask. But God's ability to do and to give has never failed and it cannot fail. But man's ability to ask has failed and often does. There is a need for the entire church of God on the earth to betake itself to prayer. The church on its knees would bring heaven on the earth. As simple as that. I I, I feel that that's such a refreshing description of the way God has chosen in his sovereign wisdom to work on the earth. He's chosen to use people like you and I. And he is able, he is willing, and he's given us a glimpse of how he wants to work on the earth and what his will is for us as a people. And then he's just kind of like, he's like waiting for us to press in and and to seek him and to ask. Just look at this Psalm He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of God, uh, seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory. May come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. A very simple psalm. You can imagine the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem. And King David leading the people in this psalm. King of glory, come in. You are welcome here. We are a generation that's going to seek you, God. That is our priority. That is our, our, uh, the thing of, of most importance for us as a people. We are going to be a generation who seek him. And as you spend time in God's word, you'll oftentimes come across, both, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a word that's translated into the English language as the word seek. What does that word seek mean? It's not a, it's not a word that we use on a daily basis. Once you're playing hide and seek, we oftentimes don't use that word seek. But it's a, it's a word that's kind of scattered throughout God's redemptive story, at least as we translate it into the English language. Strong's concordance translated from the Hebrew language, so for the, all the Hebrew instances in the Old Testament, translates this word "seek" and, and says it implies diligence to search out. It implies a responsibility to search out, and it implies a desire to be in the presence of that person. When he says a generation that seeks the face of God, it's a generation that desires to be in the presence of that person, in the presence of the God of Jacob. That's what that word seek means. And In the psalmist here, King David, he says that to this generation that seeks the face of God, blessing and salvation follow them. I wanna be a praying people. I wanna be an individual, a follower of Jesus, first and foremost seeks God, seeks the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us promises as well in that. But as a church, as a church family, I believe God is calling us to be a praying church. So this morning, that's my simple aim is to encourage our hearts as a church to be a praying church. This is what a praying church is like. A praying, first, firstly is this, a praying church is a living church. I know. Oftentimes, I give you one point this morning. I have seven, so giddy up, okay? Buckle up. We're going to go for it. Seven points. A praying church is a living church because a praying church. The psalmist says here that the the uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof of the world and those who dwell in it. A praying church is so connected to this author of all things, this one who is the fullness of of all that there is in this universe. He is the author and the source of it all. He's the author of life and the author of all good things. So ones who are found on their knees in this posture of seeking are acutely attuned to that reality. They don't get the car before the horrors, They don't get themselves in this, in this wrong position of trusting in themselves, of self-reliance. Instead, they're so acutely attuned to that reality that he is the source of life. So they're so connected to this life stream, the living water, the bread of life. This is actually a very similar phrase that the Apostle Paul used as he prayed over the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one. And last year, I preached a number of messages from this passage in Ephesians chapter one. But he uses a very similar passage as he describes the work of Jesus and the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is supposed to be so acutely attuned to who it is that is our life giver. It's him. It's not us and our strategies and our planning and our, and our awesome ideas. He is the author of all life. He is the, the giver of all good things. And so the apostle Paul, he prays over the church of Ephesus and he says that I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, and he goes on, he says, I pray that you would understand this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he goes on and he says, and he put all things under his feet, that's Christ. And he gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the, fill, the fullness of him who fills all in all. A church that's a praying church is so acutely attuned to that reality. That it's Christ who is the head over us. It's not a person or a leader or any one of us. It's Christ who is our head. He is the source of all good things. And it's Him who who is the fullness, who fills all in all. It's a praying church is a living church. Second is this: a praying church is a believing church. Verse 3, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? if we take a moment to consider what prayer actually is, prayer is you and I, as humble, very finite beings coming before the king of the universe, only made possible by Jesus Christ. Jesus made the way. So in prayer, we're not not trying to, to earn something. Everything has been made available because of the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. He made a way for us to actually come before the king of the universe and be in right standing with him. So imagine yourself actually standing before a physical being, this king, majestic king, sitting on a throne. And he's he's revealed to you what his will is, what his priorities on the earth are, what his desires for your life, for your family, for your neighborhood are like. And imagine you standing before him. He's equipped you with all of this. Would you not ask, with a certain sense of boldness, with a certain sense of courage, with a certain sense of of confidence as you are standing before him. A praying church, through the place of prayer, they have a a download or understanding or revelation of what's available to us in God. And when they come into that place of prayer, it's it's almost like they are really standing before this king, and they're making their request, their petitions to him, knowing that he's given them these promises, that these things are his priority. This is his heart. So praying church is so attuned to the heartbeat of God. You and I, we can stand before a holy God. We can ascend to the hill of the Lord. I pray that we would There'd be an increase in our awareness as we come into the place of prayer, actually the transaction that's taking place because of Jesus Christ, because of what's he, what he's made available to us. We're taking God at his word. A praying church becomes a dangerous church in the eyes of the enemy because we begin to take God at his word. That promise I quoted early, earlier in second, second Peter chapter 3, verse 24, that's by his stripes we are healed. We, we come before this holy God, this, this God who there's, there's none like him. He's completely set apart. King of the universe. And we say, God, I pray for my mother who has cancer. That's the promise that you've given me. It's by your stripes she is healed. And I come before you. I make that petition. Lord, I stand on your word, on your promises. Lord, let it be. Let it be. That's the, the posture of a, of a believing church. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says that God is not slow in keeping his promises, but he's so patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's a promise that we're given. You can know it's God's will for people to turn to him, for people's hearts to be softened. So people in your life that don't yet know Christ, you can come to him. A praying church becomes a believing church for their city. It's not okay with us that 50% of our county has no religious affiliation. It's not okay with us. When we become a praying church, we begin to believe God, at, at His, take Him at His word, that it's His will that all would turn to Him, that none would perish. The promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we will be endued with power from on high to be witnesses, to be accurate representations of the kingdom of God in our city. These promises begin to brew in our hearts, and we begin to actually take Him at His word as we become a praying church. Because a praying church is a believing church. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In my recent trip to, um, to Israel, to Jerusalem, I actually got to walk on a path called the path of ascent. So when he says ascending the hill of the Lord in Jerusalem, there's an actual literal path of ascent that goes from one of the major uh, you know, washing pools, the, the Pool of Siloam, to um, where travelers would come into Jerusalem like Jesus himself. He would come from Galilee and he'd come to this pool and he'd, he'd clean off there. He's dirty from his journey. He's stinky. And so he cleans off in the pool. They then, as they're clean, they begin their ascent up to the temple. And it is a literal incline up to the temple, up to this holy hill. And they, they actually begin to make their ascent up to the hill. What's so fascinating about both the this path of ascent and the steps that actually go into the temple. I, I stood on these 2,000 year old steps leading up to the, to the, the second temple that King Herod built is they purposely designed the steps to be different lengths so that you don't run up to the, to the temple. So you don't, you don't just kind of nonchalantly mosey up to the, the hill of the Lord. But instead you're being thoughtful about it. If you're not thoughtful about it, you're gonna trip on your face. And so they, 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 some steps are short, some are long, they wouldn't pass code today, <laughs> but, but some, are, some are long, there'll be a few short ones in a row. You have to be very thoughtful about your steps as you come before the Lord in the temple. What would it look like? And I believe these, the week of prayer and the, the 30 days of prayer that we're entering into serve us in a similar way. It causes us to slow down to kind of press the pause button on our lives and say, okay, God, I wanna be thoughtful as I approach you. You are a holy God. My life is so stinking short. I'm a finite being. You've blessed me with breath in my lungs. I wanna approach you with a sense of reverence and awe and thoughtfulness. And I believe these windows of opportunities provide a similar gift to us. And it's when we take that posture to actually know that we're coming before a holy God. We're not, just, we're not just busying ourselves with religious activity. We're not just obligating ourselves to, to do something so we can pat ourselves on the back. We are actually coming before a holy God. And when that begins to actually hit us in our heart, move from our, our heads to our hearts and, and transform us, we become a believing church, we begin to take God at his word and that becomes a dangerous church in the eyes of the enemy. Third is this. A praying church is a church of his presence. It's a church of his presence. Literally, King David is talking about the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant being brought into, into Jerusalem. So he's actually talking about this entire psalm is... is um, centering the people of God around this distinctive of who they are. This is what sets them apart from from all the rest of the nations around them. It's the fact that their God comes and actually dwells with them. He's actually with them. He's not distant. He comes and actually hangs out with them. In those last three verses that seem repetitive, that is the anthem that he's leading them in. Lift up, he's talking to inanimate objects. He says, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. If, we, if we're gonna do anything, we're gonna make sure that we welcome and honor the presence of God in this city. That's what King David is saying. He's actually talking to the gates. He's talking to the doors. We are gonna be a people that honor and revere the presence of God. So praying church becomes centered on that reality. The presence of God is our priority God being the, the, the dominant reality, his rule and reign being the dominant reality in our church. If you hang out with us enough, you'll, you'll begin to hear that definition of the presence of God that we use around here a lot. The presence of God is the dominant reality of the rule and reign of Jesus. You know, he's present everywhere in the universe all the time. Like That's not um, hinging on whether or not we recognize it. But when a people become captivated By the rule and reign of Jesus being the dominant reality in a place, it really does affect things. It changes a moment, it changes a place, it changes my heart, it changes the way I live. In my living room, when I recognize that the dominant reality is not the the physical spaces around me, but instead it's the rule and reign of Jesus, that shifts the way I do everything. It shifts the way I interact with my wife and with my kids and the things that I watch and the way I use my time. When the rule and the reign of Jesus becomes the dominant reality, and a praying church becomes acutely attuned to that. I feel like last, last Sunday, or even this morning, is a testimony to that. It was, I was so fascinated. Last Sunday, I felt compelled, before I spoke my message, for us just to spend time on our knees. And, uh, and it was like, when we did that, the presence of God just kind of came on us like a blanket. It was, it was an amazing moment. And I do what I do not to get affirmation from people or words of encouragement. So most Sundays when I speak, there's a few people that will say, oh, great word, Pastor. Yeah, awesome. You're uh, great. Last Sunday, I was overwhelmed by the response of people. As we gave time for just the presence of God to be central, it was like so many people came up to me and said, that's exactly what I needed. God ministered to me in that moment. It was like... God was speaking to me in that moment. This was a divine appointment. It was like one after another. And it had nothing to do with me. It was actually when I got out of the way, when I stopped speaking, when I actually just shut up and let God move in a moment when the presence of God did what only He could do. It's like more was accomplished than all of our planning, all of our strategizing, all of my writing, and the things that I can come up with. It's like when when we step aside and say, God, you be central, you be preeminent, you be our priority more is accomplished. And a praying church becomes acutely attuned to that. Four is this, a praying church is grounded in truth. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully. And those who have that posture of ones who are gonna seek after the face of God, they become grounded in truth. They don't become... um, prone to error, I would say one of the hallmarks of any real move of God is a, is a mass turning, which is biblically what we call repentance. If you, as you look through biblical history and church history, any great move of God, there's, a, there's kind of a, a marker upon it. And it's when people turn to God. And that, that word repentance literally means a changing of our minds, and so what happens when people become a praying people and the church actually comes alive to pray, it's like we begin to realize the errors that we've clung to, the, the, the false narratives that we've clung to. And we begin to actually turn to God. There's a spirit of repentance that comes upon us. and we begin, we begin to ground ourselves in truth. We begin to be recalibrated, recentered on truth. And we're no, no longer prone to the errors of self-reliance which if there's any error that the Western church is most prone to, it's, it's, that, it's that error of self, self-reliance and pride because we are, we're the West, like we can do anything, right? We can build anything, we can accomplish anything faster and better than anybody on the planet and that's seeped into the church and so a church continues to function with or without God but a praying church gets grounded in the, in the, in the truth which is, that doesn't actually function at all without God. There, there's facades and things that we put on, but at the end of the day, a praying church gets grounded in that truth that we are completely reliant on you, God. Now we need you. you need, we need you to move in our generation. This is what Charles Spurgeon said over 100 years ago. He also is not with us anymore, but he said, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. So a praying church is grounded in truth. And five is this, a praying church is a blessed church. Verse five, he says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now let me clarify what being blessed is. Blessed, being blessed is not necessarily a life of ease. But blessing is, is a favor of God that follows those that truly seek God, that truly seek him. Jesus centered us in that, or he centered us in that truth in the Sermon of the Mount as he stood before the people and described what the kingdom of God is like. He said, blessed are the, those that mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And on and on and on. These, these are ones who are blessed. Blessed are those who are Uh, who are desperate, who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And a praying church becomes a blessed church, one, one who steps into the favor of God. And in all of these attributes of a praying church or descriptions of a praying church, you can just assume that prayerlessness also absorbs the opposite. So, we step out of the favor of God, out of the blessing of God when we're prayerless as a church, as a people. When there's not a critical momentum, a critical mass of momentum amongst us, of a people that are seeking after the heart of God, we do step out of the blessing of God. Everything becomes more difficult. It's like there's always a lack. There's a lack of leaders, a lack of money, a lack of whatever it is. But when we become a praying people, we step into the blessing of God. And there's always enough. It's not that everything is easy because as we'll see in the next one, there there are battles that we step into spiritually. But there's a blessing we step into. And you can can adopt that truth or you can uh, embrace that truth for your own family. You want your family to be blessed. Begin to be a praying family. Be a family that postures your hearts to seek after the face of God. Say, we're gonna be different. We're not just gonna go with the flow like the culture around us. Instead, we're gonna be a people that we're gonna seek after God. We're we're gonna love him first and foremost. We're gonna seek the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added unto us. We know that. That's the blessing and the favor of God. Number six is is just that. A praying church is strong for battle. He says, who is this king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? A praying church has this revelation, their eyes are open to the battle that we live within. Do you know that we're living in the midst of a battle? How often is the church found sleeping in the midst of the battle? I mean, let's be honest. How often have you stepped into church and there's this sense of urgency? How many times have you stepped into a prayer gathering or or a life group or whatever it is, and there's this truly, truly a sense of urgency, of like, wow, there is a battle that we are in the midst of. I'm not not talking about like a hyper-spirituality or a a um, hyper-sensationalism of it all, or emotionalism. But I'm saying an actual spiritual battle that exists. And we are contending for things that matter. We are contending for things of eternity. And a praying church becomes acutely attuned to that. That we are in the midst of a battle and we're not just playing games. This isn't a social club. This isn't a a feel-good club. Instead, we are we are ushered into a real battle that matters, a battle for things that are eternal. And what happens in a praying church is we actually graduate, we mature into battles that even matter even more, that God actually entrusts to us certain battles to contend for over over our city, over our region. And and I'm just in a place lately where I'm saying, God, open our eyes to the things that you want us to contend for. What are the big battles in our city, in our county, over the university that you're calling us to go to battle for? What are those things? We wanna be a people that pray. And as we position our hearts in that place consistently, God's gonna graduate us. He's gonna, he's gonna um, upgrade us to that place where we can begin to go to battle. We can begin to push back the territory of the enemy and truly take new ground for the kingdom of God. Amen? seven is this a praying church is a ready church if there's anything that the king david wanted to make clear to god is that that the city of jerusalem that he is king that his people they were ready he says lift up your heads o gates be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is this king of glory lift up your head o gates he repeats it he's like we are ready god We we are a people that are ready. I'll even proclaim it to these inanimate objects. I want to make clear to you, God, that we are ready. And as as Jesus taught us about this age to come, as he knew his, his destiny was to give his life on the cross and for then the Father to send the Holy Spirit amongst us, he knew there was an age coming. It's the age you and I live in. And as he described this age to come, in which you and I are presently living in, he described the way that we needed to live as ones who are alert, ones who are vigilant, ones who are ready. Consistently, as, as you scour those, the, the parables of this, of this age to come, oftentimes he says, be ready, be watchful, be alert. In a praying church, becomes a, a ready church as they, as they are attuned to what God is doing, as their, their eyes are open to how God is working. They're, they're more discerning of what he's doing in a moment and, and they are truly a ready church. And I believe God's gonna ready us for what he wants to do in our generation. I don't know when Christ is coming back. Like, I don't know the timetable and nor should we try to speculate. Let's be clear. But a praying church positions themselves to be ready for whatever it is that God is gonna do in their generation. So whether it be his return or whether it be some preparatory thing for the next chapter, a praying church becomes a ready church. And I wanna be a part of that. I want our generation right here at Life Point Church, here in Ames, in Story County, I want us to be ready. And we do that by being a praying church. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. I want you to play that song, uh, The Bridge to uh, Build My Life. And I I felt like it'd be fitting, this being the last Sunday of 2019, as we're focusing on um, recentering ourselves on being a praying church for us to come to the altar and just spend a few moments before we um, get on with the rest of our week just here at the altar saying, God, we wanna be a praying church. We wanna be a generation that seeks the face of God. So we're gonna do that. If you'd all stand to your feet, if you'd come forward, come to the front, find a place just to spend two or three minutes seeking the Lord, saying, God, we're positioning our hearts to, being a, to be a praying people. You are a source of everything, God. You're the author of life. You've equipped us with so many precious promises And so right now, we take a moment just to position our hearts before you and say, we seek you first and foremost. We seek your face. We seek to be in your presence. We embrace this as our responsibility to seek you. You've made a way for us to come before you boldly with confidence to ask. And so God, we repent from the failures on our side. Many times we've not responded. Many times we've not come to you in faith. Many times we've failed to ask. Many times we've failed to truly believe. But God, we're returning we're from that now. Right now we are positioning our hearts in a, in a place of seeking, searching, asking, contending, battling, readying our hearts. So we do that right now. I believe that you're stirring up in our church all generations. Not just the older, not just the younger, not just the the middle aged. Lord, you are truly calling all of us as a church family to be a praying people. You're not leaving any behind, you're inviting us all in. So, God, I pray for just a mass turning across our church of, of all generations saying yes to you, God, saying yes to your promises, yes to the responsibilities that we have to be a people that depend on you, that cry out to you, that rely on you. We pray it in your name, Jesus. This has been the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.